Bibles, if you will, turn to Revelation uh, chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. Last week we finished uh, or came to the end of chapter 9, which is the end of the sixth trumpet judgment. Um, Let me give you a real quick synopsis of where we're at. We began the book of Revelation with seven letters to seven churches. And uh, right on the heels of that, we believe, is when the rapture takes place, right before uh, these uh, judgments of the tribulation period begin, the Antichrist comes to power uh, in a brief period of time. And uh, John is caught up into the heaven, and he sees <coughs> the, uh, uh, the throne, and we've seen the description of that. And uh, there's a seven-sealed book, and um, the Lamb, the Bible said, had prevailed to open the seals. He was the only one found worthy to do so. And he opened the first six seals, And then John, there's kind of a pause in chapter number 7 as we see John seeing a couple of visions where God kind of puts a pause on everything for a moment until he seals the 144,000 Jews and the others that are an unnumbered multitude from every tribe and nation and tongue that also will be sealed during that time period. And those that at that point have trusted Christ as their Savior and they put their faith in God for their salvation in Christ. And then as we start the eighth chapter, we find the seventh seal is opened. And when the seventh seal is opened, it contains seven more judgments in that one seal. And we call those the seven trumpet judgments. We dealt with the first four, and then we found out that uh, there are three woes that are given, and so uh, we dealt with chapter number, uh, the, or the, I'm sorry, not chapter number, but the fifth trumpet judgment. And the Bible said at the end of the fifth trumpet judgment, that was the end of the first woe. So the second woe is now in place, and that brought us to the sixth trumpet, which we studied uh, two weeks ago and a little bit last week. And we ended the sixth trumpet judgment uh, last week at the end of chapter number nine. And one of the things we found in the end of this is that even though these men knew that this was God's judgment at play and that was taking place here, they refused to repent. This is a time period where the Bible says that they're going to desire death, they're going to seek death, and they're not going to be able to find it. And they would rather die than repent. And we talked a little bit last week, spent a, a pretty good amount of time on this issue. Uh, what in the world would cause people to get to this place and harden their hearts so greatly that uh, rather than turn to God and repent, um, they stiffen their necks and harden their hearts. We talked about the things that were given here. There were six things listed that uh, they said, we're not going to repent of these things. Then one of them was the worship of devils, and we spent a little bit of time talking about that. Uh, by the way, it's the, the uh, Satanism and the things of the occult are the fastest growing trends in the society today with regards to uh, things pertaining to religion. And uh, uh, people are enamored by it. They are, I believe, very strongly influenced. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this. I don't even think I have to go out on very far of a limb to say it. But in the last 40 or 50 years especially, Satan 
has gained such a foothold in areas of uh, media sources and areas of entertainment, things that will uh, affect our eyes and our ears. Those are the two things throughout Scripture that always seem to get men in trouble. Uh, what's in our eye, what, what our eyes see, what our ears hear. And uh, our eye affects our heart, our ears, the things that we hear about it affects our heart. And Satan has gained control. Uh, if you go back and study the origins of Hollywood, you'll find that it started as uh, production companies that were Christian-owned. And their primary focus was uh, to be able to not only give clean, wholesome entertainment, but they, were, uh, they had a desire to bring the Bible to light through that means of uh, that form of, in, uh, of, of um, media with video and, and movie type things. And you look at Hollywood today and you think, boy, that's, that's terrible. Look at it now. There's not one Christian production company there. I think the last one left there that was still Christian-owned in the 90s um, that was of any significance. I'm sure there's some small little pop-ups there that still maybe are that way. But Satan got his foothold in that and bombarded uh, our society. And can I tell you this, that uh, Hollywood doesn't affect just the United States of America. Uh, it is uh, something that impacts the world. And the thinking that comes out of there is not just isolated to our, our country, uh, but it literally has affected the entire world. Um, music, the music industry in the last 40, 50 years, Satan has gotten a hold of that. Um, our, our television and news outlets, Satan's got a hold of that. Our educational uh, institutions, God, uh, Satan has got a hold of that. And as a result, he has enamored people and caused the hearts of people to turn to these things to have a desire for the occult. Now you have things uh, like Harry Potter and, and uh, some of these uh, other uh, books and movies that come out. It's amazing to me um, how many different things out of Hollywood are so steeped in the occult. Um, I'm talking about uh, even things that we look at and say, well, that's just good, clean entertainment about the forces of good and the forces of evil. But the truth is there is a lot of Satanism and a lot of the occult mixed into those things. And I've had discussions with Christian folks on these issues. And uh, it's amazing to me how many Christian people say, oh, you're just reading too much into it. The reason we're in the mess we're in is because we haven't read too much into it. We haven't read enough into it. And when Christians get to the point where we brush those things aside and say, oh, that's just, you're just making a mountain out of a molehill, we need to make a mountain out of this molehill. In fact, there's not much of a molehill even left. We, we ought to make a molehill out of the molehill to start with and then go from there. Because these things are, are certainly uh, something that we have um, allowed to continue. Uh, Ouija boards, tarot cards, fortune telling, astrology, uh, all of these things are things that... It's amazing to me how many Christian folks uh, read their horoscope every day. It's amazing how many people do that. And then make life decisions based on it. Um, fortune telling. You call up psychics and talk on these uh, phone calls with these psychics. And um, it, it's, it's appalling to me how much we do that. The truth is, whether we involve ourselves in it or if we just simply remain silent on the issues, we contribute to the problem. Unless we finally stand up and say, listen, there's got to be a standard of God's Word that is of paramount importance, uh, unless we return to things that glorify God in our lives and abstain from things that do not glorify Him from our lives, unless we get to that place once again, uh, then we contribute. 
as long as we allow these things to continue on. Uh, let's turn to, hold your place here in Revelation 10. We're going to be there in just a moment. But I want us to look at one last verse that um, I did not, or set of verses I did not get to last week. I'm just going to give it to you, and uh, we'll touch on it briefly and then move on. Matthew chapter number 17. Hold your place here in Revelation 10. We're going to be right back to it. <clears throat> but let's look in Matthew chapter number 17. It's amazing to me how even in our quote-unquote denominations and, and other religious groups that are out there, how much idolatry takes place. Uh, they worship icons and they worship symbols. Uh, it's, it's amazing, um, and I, I'm not trying to, to be mean. I have some very dear friends of mine that belong to some of these Congregations, and I'm not saying that the people are bad, but I'm saying that their their truth that they're believing in is bad. Uh, the, the the things that are out there, um, God does not share His glory. Can I start with that statement? God God does not allow us to worship Him and something else. We've got to be careful that we don't worship. Uh, you know, people sometimes they'll. I, I've I've met people that. Uh, make a life change. They don't get saved, but they make a life change. And their their comment is, "I've turned to God," and they say, "I've done it." Look at this. Look at this. I'm wearing a cross. I've turned to God. Well, they haven't trusted Christ as their Savior. They've put a symbol on, thinking that this symbol is going to do something in their life. That symbol is not something that does anything in their life. That's just a piece of metal, uh, or a piece of wood, or whatever it is. I'm not a I'm not a big fan or advocate of people wearing uh, religious artifacts, uh, crosses and and things like that. Because if we're not careful, we'll get to the place where we we think that that's doing something for us. That's giving us some kind of protection or supernatural blessing from God to do this. Uh, God does not share his his glory with anyone. Look with me if you will in, in Matthew chapter number 17, and then we're going to apply this to a couple things, and we'll move on to chapter 10. After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto, the, unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, notice what he says here, and, and again, this is just like Peter. He gets his foot in his mouth here. He speaks ahead of his time. But notice what he says here. He says, if thou wilt, let us make here, how many tabernacles? Three. Let's make three tabernacles. One for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Was Moses a great man of God, yes or no? Absolutely he was. Should we worship him? Absolutely not. Was Elijah a powerful, powerful prophet of God? Absolutely. Should we worship him? Absolutely not. Notice what it's and, and and understand this. There are people and there are religions that will say, "Well, I I want to make sure that that I I I follow this saint or this this person over here. I'm going to pray to that person." That is never found in Scripture. In fact, when Peter uh, gets up and he says, "Lord, it's good that we're here. Let's build a tabernacle to all three of these." Look what happens here. While he yet spake, the words were not even out of his mouth yet. Behold, a bright cloud, what? Overshadowed them. Now you say, who's them? All of them that were on the mountain? I think, I believe in the context of this, and if we read down through, and I, may, I could be wrong, 
But I believe that it overshadowed Moses and Elijah. Because notice what he says here. He says, when the bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. I believe God, when he overshadowed, it says overshadowed them, I think overshadowed Moses and Elijah, so that the only thing Peter could see was the Lord Jesus Christ. And God said, listen, Peter. Peter didn't even have the words out of his mouth. God told Peter, he said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Notice what he says. Hear ye him. Does Moses have anything profitable to say? Perhaps. Does Elijah have anything profitable to say? Perhaps. But he's not the Lord Jesus Christ. And and God tells Peter, you're looking in the wrong place here. I want you to keep your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw what? No man save Jesus only. You know what I think? And this is, this is Gregology for a minute, and I'll tell you that up front because I can't prove this from Scripture. I think if Peter had not said those things, they would have had a time on that mountaintop in fellowship with those three folks. But because Peter was so tempted to elevate Moses and Elijah to the plateau where Christ alone should have been, God took them away and said, Listen, this is my son right here. Don't share his glory with anyone else. We pray, we pray to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray to God. We do not pray to a saint. Relics, artifacts that are considered sacred and special, and people kiss them and worship them, if you will. By the way, and I don't mean to be unkind, I've got some dear Catholic friends, I do. But the Pope being on the equal with Christ, not in Scripture. Nor should he be. The ring on his hand shouldn't be kissed. Praying to, to other folks... Uh, there, there, there are sincere people, and there are good people in these religions. I'm not saying the people are bad, but the truth is certainly bad. The, the doctrine of what they believe is wrong. And uh, because of this, and Satan is shrewd, he's, he's, he's made this seem like this is a right thing. And uh, there's a lot of popular religious sects out there. Catholicism, Buddhism has idols, um, Islam, all of them worship gold and silver idols, and symbols, and things that are uh, icons to them. But God does not share His glory. And we need to understand this. And Satan is going to cause men to worship things other than the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, so much so that the Bible teaches us that in the last days, just prior to these things of Revelation happening, that there will be many antichrists. There'll be a lot of people who will show up and say, I'm all that. By the way, uh, we did a series uh, just about a year ago on this Word of Faith movement that's going around our world today. And it's appalling to me that these preachers or these so-called uh, preachers will stand up in their pulpits of their churches with thousands of people there and thousands more, tens of thousands more, watching on nationalized television and worldwide media 
And they will get up and say such things as, You are a little God. Folks, that is blasphemous. And that is exactly the place where these people are in Revelation 9. Where when God brings this judgment on them, they are convinced, God doesn't have authority over me. God doesn't have any right over me. And they rebel against it, and they will not repent. Verse 21 says, Neither repented they of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor their fornication, nor their thefts. And we are quickly already becoming a nation and a world now that fits this category very closely. In many places of the world, we're already there. In some places of the world, there's just enough remnant left of salt and light that they're not quite there, but they're very quickly getting there. And folks, if there's going to be something work, a work done for the Lord Jesus Christ, something that is effective, there's going to require some Christians that have some salt to them, that have some light to them, that have the power of the Holy Spirit resting upon them, to stand boldly and say, these things ought not so to be. And can I tell you this? It needs to start in our own midst. Because it's amazing to me how many people who name the name of Christ contribute to and follow after these things. I was talking to somebody just this week, and they were talking about uh, thinking that God was telling them something, but they weren't sure. And I said, well, then He's not telling you something. Because when God speaks, it's always clear. There's nowhere in Scripture when God comes to uh, one of His prophets that He gives them something vague to say. Have you ever noticed that? They come out with boldness and say, Thus saith the Lord. Here it is. When God tells John to write stuff in Revelation, He's very specific. In fact, we're going to see tonight, He's very specific to even tell him what to write and what not to write. And for somebody to stand up, and I've watched these, these faith healers that are out here, and I'm not picking on faith healers tonight, but I'm going to pick on them for a little bit tonight, all right? Uh, these guys that get up here and they'll say, there's somebody out there and their, their name starts with a, with a B. God doesn't speak like that. If He was speaking to him, He would tell him exactly who it was. So He doesn't do those things in the day that we live. Somebody's out there and I think they've they got a pain in their right side. God wouldn't say a pain in their right side. He'd tell them what the problem was. God is very clear. These guys that do such things are charlatans. And they're antichrists, and they need to be named and called out because a number of God-fearing, Bible-believing Christians that name the name of Christ, that really genuinely and sincerely, I believe, have their faith in Him, have followed after this crowd, and have swallowed their line, hook, line, and sinker, and followed by the way. We haven't even gotten to chapter 10 yet, and it's almost 8 o'clock. So let's jump into, we'll go for just a few minutes here, and we'll at least get started on it, all right? I didn't mean to get tied up in chapter 9 again, but I did want to bring that one point out. That God does not share His glory. He just does not. This idolatry that goes around. We talked about the world last week and, and how bad that is. In our churches, we have stolen God's glory many times. Even in our Baptist churches. God has convicted me so much in the last few months how much we take the glory for what God has done. And that ought not be so. Let's look in chapter 10. And I saw another mighty angel. So this is a different angel. This is not one of the seven that are doing the trumpets. This is a separate one. 
I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with the cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. And his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot on the earth, and cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. God, again, very, very clear, very plain. Isn't it interesting that this book that, that makes so much trouble for some people to read, they, they feel like they struggle with the name of it is Revelation. The whole purpose of it is to help us to understand things from the end times. There is an angel that is spoken of here. There's some discussion that this could be Jesus Christ himself. There's very strong indication that it could be. Uh, if you have an argument that it's not, then certainly you know, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to split hairs with you on it. But let me give you reasons why I think that there's a good possibility that this could be the Lord Jesus Christ himself. First of all, uh, he's clothed with a, a cloud. And uh, we see quite a few uh, references to Christ either ascending or descending, coming in uh, the, the second coming in the clouds. And uh, during the rapture in the clouds. And uh, so we find these things um, uh, descending on the clouds in numerous places. We'll take time next week to look at a few of these verses. Uh, but it's, uh, it gives an idea or a sign of glory and power. And uh, that's, what, that's what that uh, picture of, of clothed with a cloud indicates oftentimes in Scripture. Uh, furthermore, it says that he was wearing a rainbow on his head in this uh, is an indication of mercy. Uh, again, if you'll remember what the rainbow was given for originally, after God destroyed the world, He said, I'll never do it by a flood again. And uh, He showed mercy during that period of time. Um, and was given as a symbol of the promise of God not to destroy the whole earth. Uh, his face, the Bible says, uh, is as it were the sun. None can look at Him. It's too bright. Um, have you ever tried to stare up at the sun? Now, it's not the sun, but it does say it's as bright as the sun, or like the sun. Uh, you can't look at it. You can't keep your eyes upon it, the face. And uh, His glory, His appearance uh, is shining. Uh, the angels also shine, uh, but theirs is a reflected glory, uh, whereas God's is an emanating, and Christ is an emanating glory, uh, called the Shekinah glory of God. Uh, and uh, His feet, the Bible says, are as pillars of fire, and the idea of burning feet, if you look in prophecy, oftentimes when you find things uh, that are referring to something burning, uh, and especially burning feet, you find that that's oftentimes dealing with judgment that is being brought. Well, God is the one that has all authority to bring the judgment. The Bible says that He has the ability to cry with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And, of course, we know from Scripture in Isaiah chapter number 6 and others, that at the voice of him, the, uh, the, uh, the posts of the house were moved. I mean, this is a, not a meek voice, but this is a loud voice. Um, he's holding a small book in his right hand. Now, I don't believe this is the seven-sealed book, um, because it refers to it as a small book. It is open in his right hand. Uh, and uh, uh, then we find uh, that he's also seen with one foot on the sea and one foot on the land or on the earth. 
uh, and again indicates that he has control or power over the earth and the sea, and the placing of his foot on both uh, indicates that he has authority to conquer anyone that comes against him. So there's a number of reasons why uh, I think that this could be, a very strong possibility, this could be the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And when he speaks, the Bible says it was as, verse number 3, as a lion that roareth, and he cried, and uh, there were seven thunders uttered, uh, that were given. Now, I'm going to just talk just briefly about these thunders, and then we'll stop and pick up there uh, next week. But um, John, uh, the, these thunders were not um, things that were not understood. John clearly understood what these thunders were saying. It says here in verse 4, And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices. So this is not just noise, but there are things being spoken here uh, with a voice of thunder. And he says, uh, I, he had uttered the voice, he said this, I was about to write uh, about what the thunders said. So there was an understanding. He understood what the thunders said. He was about to uh, write down what it was said. And this is because God had pretty well told him, didn't he, back in chapter 1, to write down these things that you see and that you hear. Um, then uh, we find that he was commanded to seal them up, uh, that they were not allowed to, he was not allowed to write them down. This is very similar to Paul uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, and we'll look at that passage next week, uh, who also saw some things and was told not to write them. And the reason for this is, is, I think, twofold, things that I think we can learn from it. One is, some things are not uh, for us on this side of heaven to see or hear. And then it's interesting that God gives no explanation to John as to why he's to seal these things up. Have you noticed that? He doesn't say, I want you to seal these up because, and then give a reason why. Uh, I've got a teenage son. He's the third of three teenagers that have come to, through my house. It's amazing to me, as they get older, sometimes they make the mistake of saying, when I tell them something, why? <laughs> you don't do that with God. God doesn't offer an explanation. There's something very unique about this. There's no reason for God to give an answer to John because God does not answer to man. He does not need a reason for what He does. And secondly, we as men should not need a reason from God to trust Him. When He says something, our faith ought to be, Yes, Lord. But, Pastor, I don't understand it. There's a lot of things I don't understand that God does. But I've lived long enough to see that in every outcome, even if it was by my own doing, if I'm faithful to Him and obedient to Him, He always will get the glory from it. And He will continue to work. And I may bear scars from some things that I do in my life. But there's one thing I know in this point in my life, and that is this. I can always trust Him. Always. Because He never makes a mistake. He doesn't give John an explanation. He says, seal it up, John. And guess what? John seals it up. He doesn't say, Lord, why? It would do us well, wouldn't it? When we see something that God says, we read it in His book. To not sit there and say, well, I just don't understand that. Lord, why, why are we... Why, tell me why. If you'll show me why, I'll do it. That ought not be our attitude. Our attitude ought to be, yes, Lord, I'll do it. I'd like to know why, but whether you tell me or not, I'm going to say yes. Why? Because we can trust Him. We can trust Him. 
Uh, we'll pick up there next week. We didn't get as far into chapter 10 as I would have liked to, but I did want to cover that area of chapter 9 that we didn't quite touch on last week. And, um, folks, we, we are living in a time where God's people need to, need to take this thing of uh, living for God seriously. Uh, we have enjoyed religious liberty for so long that it has brought about an apathy, a sleepiness, if you will, a drowsiness in the Christian life. Uh, we have coasted. We've put things on cruise control, uh, spiritually speaking. And we're living in a day where this world does not need any more Christians that are on cruise control. It needs some Christians that are salty that will stand up and say, Thus saith the Lord. This is what His Word says. And I want to encourage us to be such people. I'm not telling you to be mean. We can still be bold and have grace. Sometimes we have to call some things out. And even as we've called some things out tonight, it's not the people that I hate, but it is the sinful things that are done. It is the, the wickedness of their doctrine and their philosophy that I cannot stand. And I love the folks. There are some of them that are friends of mine and will continue to be. But I cannot stand the truth that they hold to because it goes contrary to God's Word. And somewhere along the line, God's people need to rise up again and say the Bible is still the Bible. It's still true. And God's Word is certainly our source of authority. Uh, let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Thank you all for bearing with me and staying a few moments later tonight than we normally do. And uh, we'll look forward to finishing chapter 10 next week. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for your word. I pray that you'll guide and direct us in the weeks ahead as we finish up. Lord, so many things that we need to yet learn from this book of Revelation. So many things that we need to understand about our own life today. And even just learning tonight about trusting you regardless of whether we know why. Just trusting you.